0: What does decentralized governance mean for the future of humanity? How will blockchain upgrade Web 2.0 to Web 3.0? And is Coke really better than Pepsi? Today, we welcome Jeremy Masigi of Immutable Capital to the show to discuss two out of three of the questions I just asked. He knows quite a bit about blockchains, but we're not sure if he's a soda expert. As for us, well, we're just two dudes talking crypto and we're going off the blockchain for episode number 273 of the Bad Crypto podcast. 543210
1: Who's that? Zoom? talking crypto two dudes talking crypto joel and travis are just two dudes talking crypto oh yeah. oh
0: yeah that's what we be to two dudes talking to cryptos it's the bad crypto podcast where we duck duck go the things so you don't have to heard all around the world in more nations than we can count that's so Sh- true we, we also being things
2: we also being things too
0: yeah but we do not google the things because google hates us yeah well you know what they maybe they don't hate us as much because we did get our youtube channel back do we have we announced that i don't know that we've ever actually announced that we got our youtube channel back oh my gosh we complained about it for a year and then we don't tell people so uh yeah we got our youtube channel back so bad crypto podcast is back on youtube they uh basically evaluated why they banned us and looked at it and said, oops, sorry. <laughs> oops. And, and we still, it's
2: like, you look at, look inside our account. We have no copyright dings, no, no dings against us at all. We have a perfectly wonderful account, but for some odd reason they didn't like two dudes talking crypto back, back in the crypto bull run originally. So, yeah, but we're going to start doing more videos too, which is fun. We're, uh, we've been playing around Joel and I were playing around the other day with uh, OBS and learning how to do, more high quality videos. So we will be making more videos in the future as well. So go to badco.in forward slash YouTube or go to youtube.com forward slash bad crypto podcast and uh, subscribe to our channel and comment on our, on our stuff. Send us some love. Uh yeah.
0: And after you're done with that, go to BlueShare.io and check them out because they are the show sponsor for this episode. The BlueShare security tokens, known as the BST, provide exposure to a construction business that has 23 years of experience and a pipeline of natural resources and mining and exploration projects. They are the first construction and mining company to offer the shares of their company using Ethereum blockchain smart Contracts. They've basically secured mining exploration concessions with a forecasted worth of 4.3 billion US dollars. That's made up of construction aggregates, gold, silver, copper, zinc. And then they're aiming for 27 billion more in possible forthcoming expansion opportunities. So the blue shares are the tokenized underlying equity capital shares of Swiss based Interprom Mining AG. There's 80 million blue shares available for purchase right now now uh these token sales started on May 6th continues for 90 days if you're a qualified investor you might want to go check them out thanks for sponsoring us blueshare at blueshare.io
2: um, a sponsorship does not mean that we are recommending the token <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's what sponsorship yeah. means they're sponsoring the show I mean it, you guys some of you listen to the end of the show right you hear the disclaimer every damn time it's like we it's we are are we financial uh, advisors i i am not a financial advisor have you
2: taken any classes recently that i'm unaware of mr joel
0: are you a financial advisor i am not certified in advising anybody financially hardly even myself i see but i am a podcast advisor and i advise that we move on with the show There are so many buzzwords that are bandied about in the crypto world, and one of those words that we continue to hear about is this notion of decentralization. You know, most of what we have participated in is highly centralized, and there are those who think this is a very bad thing. And I'm amongst those people, as is Mr. Travis Wright, as is Jeremy Masigi, the chief investment officer at Immutable Capital. They're a firm that invests in problem-solving crypto assets, and Jeremy advises leading organizations on implementing blockchain technology. He's been researching and investing in blockchain tech since almost the beginning, 2012, and he educates audiences all over the world on the subject. He's here now. Welcome, Jeremy, to Bad Crypto. Thank you very much. We're we're glad that you're here in our highly centralized podcast <laughs> that belongs to myself and Travis Wright. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, let's let's talk a little bit about this notion of centralization and uh, when we talk about centralization, what are some of the institutions and organizations that, you know, come to mind as examples for those that are encountering this terminology for the first time?
1: Great question. Let's dive into that by just talking about specific examples in our daily lives and how our society uh, basically relies on centralization today. In today's society, we heavily rely on central points of trust uh, in the form of central authorities who we basically appoint to uh, be in charge of making really important decisions, such as people in government. um, And we need them because they help things run smoothly on a day-to-day basis. We need to be able to go to work. We need to be able to uh, put food on the table. We need uh, roads that function properly. We need infrastructure. Um, We need to be able to, you know, we need phone lines that work, et cetera. So governance uh, is a key part of our everyday lives. It's centralized because we, until now, have not had a way to uh, do that without having to uh, trust someone in the middle. So centralization is, has kind of been, you could say a necessary evil. Uh, and I think that it has existed for hundreds of years um, as long as we have not had, in my opinion, the level of technological maturity required to um, govern our society uh, in a trustless way or in a decentralized way. Uh, in a decentralized system, rather than putting uh, individuals or groups of people in charge and basically saying, hey, we trust you and we hope that you um, take care of our best interests. And we hope that you um, represent us uh, in the decisions that you make every day. Uh, And the problem with that system is that Throughout history, there's always been a very high likelihood that individuals who are put in a centralized position of power will end up uh, misusing it. Um, that's a, a corruptibility is a fundamentally human characteristic, uh, and you can uh, think of that as a, as an exploit from a you know software hacking perspective. It's Something it's, there's a problem with the fact that someone who's in charge of making decisions that in- affect many of people, many people also has personal interests that can trump that responsibility. So a hacker mm-hmm. can use that exploit to uh, rig the system in their favor.
2: Yeah, that whole that uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely, they say, and which is one reason why I've always said, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are like oh, we know we need socialism. That's like, well, <laughs> then guess what? Then you have just these very few people up at the top of the food chain. And then you know what happens when these powerful people gain all this power. It's not going to be good for the little people, right? Look at what's happening in Venezuela. And it's what's happened every time. That's sort of, you know, and I have some other friends that are like, oh, we need anarchy. But I'm like, no, well, we also need infrastructure and <laughs> just like you said. So there's there's got to be some balance in between that uh, that we can all agree upon, right? So maybe what is that balance? How, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think that one way that you could look at centralization or centralized institutions is kind of like a drug that keeps you alive, but is bad for you. So if you stop taking the drug, you die or in a societal context, descend into chaos. Um, and, you know, we live in a society that is perhaps like just no longer safe, you can't go out into the streets and know that there's there are rules out there that that you know you're not going to get robbed or hurt. But by taking the drug, you're, it's keeping you alive. But you know that something is still very wrong. So if you can find a better solution, um, it's in the best interest of of you know people at large.
0: Okay, so let's talk about what decentralized governance looks like. How do we get there? And then what are the implications of it for uh, for our humanity?
1: Yeah, so I think Bitcoin is fundam- has fundamentally uh, given us a blueprint for decentralized governance at mass scale. So never in history before uh, Bitcoin have we had a mechanism uh, that would allow huge networks of people. And, And what is a network, right? There are so many things that we can call a network. Any organization of humans is a network. Like if you're in a Justin Bieber fan club, that's a network. If you are a member of the city of Los Angeles, that's a network. If you live in the United States, the United States is a network. Managing or governing a network of people who are each bringing complex needs, uh, desires, capabilities into the mix and turning that into an organized, harmonious uh, system where people can basically live a good quality life. You know, that that is something that is um, unbelievably valuable to us um, as a species. Uh, So what does that mean? What are the implications of that for the future of Humanity. Well, in a decentralized, uh, in a in a system that is governed uh, in a decentralized manner, um, we can wean ourselves off of the uh, centralized reliance on uh, people to make uh, decisions for us uh, in a way that uh, can be abused. Uh, we can uh, create a society that is more uh, equitable, more transparent and more democratic so it's more representative of the needs of the people inside of that society or that network uh, and I believe that that uh, leads to a higher quality of life for everyone uh, inside that network.
2: Now I, I think that sounds great. I think another question would be you know how do we get to that point without you know mass adoption happening? And we got to get to mass adoption before we can get to some of these solutions, I think, because, you know, maybe uh, people don't understand blockchain. They don't understand why it's important. They don't you know, they just there's we've not had that moment like we did with the Internet where everybody gets it. When when Netscape launched and, you know, everybody could easily access all this content. We've not necessarily had that. So mass adoption. Right. So what is it going to take for the public to get there? Yeah.
1: um, So a few things. First, I would, uh, you know, let's stop and take a look at where we are today. I think that Bitcoin um, is the blueprint, the initial kind of uh, blueprint that for this path that we can follow. I think that decentralized governance is in its infancy, it's, it's crawling, and it's trying to figure out how to get up and walk. And Bitcoin has inspired many different projects to join into the mix and to attempt to solve this crucial problem of decentralized governance in a different way, which is a beautiful thing. And most of those projects are in a very nascent stage. Bitcoin is 10 years old, which is old in crypto terms, but extremely young and uh, compared to any other institutions that we have uh, in the world. So um, we're totally right now in a stage of, trying to figure this out and making amazing progress. And, and, you know, this is a space that moves at such a rapid pace in large part because of its open, transparent nat- nature. Everything that's being developed is open source. So every new project is basically taking what others have figured out using that to continue to build and evolve on top of that.
0: Yeah. You know, Bitcoin's only 10. Like you said, it's it's like not even entered puberty yet. You know, if you think the difficult years are yet to come for anybody who's had teenagers, <laughs> watch out when Bitcoin wants to drive. Right. This is going to mm-hmm. be really interesting. Yeah, So, you know, one of the the beautiful things about blockchain is the potential to help those in, in developing nations. Right. Crypto is is the promise of a new currency that uh, that people can use to avoid, you know, massive fees that are imposed upon them for transferring money and, uh, you know, these these banks taking advantage of those that are um, disadvantaged. So talk a little bit about how adoption of blockchain can help, you know, what we previously called third world countries, now politically correct, we say developing nations.
1: So blockchain right now is proliferating quite rapidly in our society, but it's Mostly growing on the enterprise side right now, and and that means it's happening mostly outside of public view. Um, the first place where this technology is being implemented is is on the you know on the corporate side. So, for example, companies like IBM, Fidelity, Accenture, you know, there's a long list of Fortune 500 con- companies that have either. Um, released some blockchain-based product or service, are working on it actively right now, or are planning on it in the near future. I'll name one interesting example, which is a, a service called uh, IBM Blockchain WorldWire, which was actually announced um, at Money 2020 Singapore back in March, where I was uh, one of the speakers. What that is, is a, it's an interbank settlement system. It's It provides a crypto-based solution for banks in different countries to settle transactions with each other much faster. That is already live, right? So that is going to be changing people's lives like right now. And they're probably going to have no idea that they're using something that has anything to do with blockchain. The banks that have kind of signed up onto that network know, but the individuals who are withdrawing at ATMs or uh, paying each other with checks have no clue. So the point that I'm uh, getting at here is that um, mass adoption is happening without necessarily requiring mass understanding amongst uh, the general population. Um, Another point that I would make on that is uh, the vast majority of people don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes when they are uh, streaming videos on YouTube, when they're um, sending emails, When they're using their computer, there's very complex, very interesting, very cool stuff happening on a technical level that's not required for them to know in order to use that technology. I think blockchain getting into the developing world is crucial because when we look at uh, sort of how society functions and how businesses run in countries like uh, Rwanda, Uganda, Um, Ethiopia, those are all places that I've actually been to recently, which are amazing. But the fact is that about half of the world doesn't have a bank account. And by not having a bank account, they're extremely limited in the ways that they can participate in commerce, uh, in the ways that they can build businesses, offer products and services, um, transact uh, beyond their local Surroundings, right? And there are a lot of markets in the world that uh, companies simply, uh, you know, don't find worthwhile. You know, they don't think that they're profitable enough, or maybe it would take too much work for them to get into those markets. I mean, this subject alone is something we could talk about for a very long time. But um, crypto in the developing world is a really interesting topic because. It's um, sorely needed. And at the same time, it faces very heavy barriers because the ways in which we in uh, developing countries like uh, developed countries like uh, the United States access cryptocurrency are not really uh, necessarily available in those places. They can't necessarily get online and get on an exchange and purchase crypto. Um, there's probably no one in their neighborhood who's you know, buying and selling locally. Ah, uh, they probably don't have the uh, hardware and the internet rec- uh, connection required to uh, get involved in mining. So there are a lot of obstacles. Um, there are a lot of interesting ways in which it could happen as well, though. Well, let's talk about you know you mentioned IBM
2: and enterprise blockchains and some of the stuff that's going on on with that. What is your perspective and and how are you know how are you seeing more and more companies adopting blockchain in their enterprise?
1: Yeah. So first of all, one of the things that I do that um, I think you guys mentioned at the at the beginning of our conversation is um, I help companies implement blockchain to improve um, processes uh, within their organization to um, uh, offer products and services that are made possible uh, by the co- capabilities that are unlocked by blockchain and. A lot of today's adoption and growth in blockchain is on the enterprise side. A lot of this is also happening with private or permissioned blockchains, which is basically a variation, kind of like a more corporatized variation of what a blockchain is actually, you know, supposed to be because they are centralizing it um, and to different degrees, depending on on the company, depending on the project, they are using some of the capabilities of blockchain, but they are sort of discarding uh, a lot of the most valuable ones, actually. So my perspective on this is that it's overall a great thing for the ecosystem. You know, for for someone like myself who um, really believes in this technology, is really excited about its growth and its. Proliferation throughout society because of the benefits that I know it's going to bring. Um, any step forward is a good step. I think that uh, enterprise or permissioned blockchains are sort of like a baby step, like a half step into more decentralized ways of, uh, of, of doing things, uh, more decentralized ways of uh, commercial um, business. And it's kind of like what intranets were uh, during the early days of the internet. So intranets, which like, if anyone is listening and saying like, what the hell is that? Like, that's the point. Like they don't really exist anymore. They were a temporary way for companies to network the computers that they had within their organization, which was a big step forward compared to just like computers not being connected to each other at all. Just each one living in its own silo but they were afraid to uh, connect to the open general public internet. Today, that's ridiculous. Like you're literally ridiculous if you uh, insist on your company not being connected to the internet, not being connected to all of the world's knowledge, to everybody else around the world. Um, So I think that's the same thing that will happen with uh, private and public blockchains. In my work, I focus primarily on um, implementing public blockchain based solutions, because I think there are a lot of ways today that, that businesses can uh, benefit from those.
0: You do not be, what was the term you use? Uh, ri- something li- ridiculous, literally ridiculous. Do not be literally yeah. ridiculous. Okay, so, you know, uh, both Travis and I were there in the beginning, you know, during what was called web 1.0. And that's really where people just went to sites to read stuff. And then web 2.0 comes along, and this turns it into a conversation, right, where there's user generated content that is taking, you know, an equal amount of space along with the content that's being published. And so many say that Web 3.0 is the next move. What does that look like to you? And how do you think blockchain helps move us into that space?
1: Absolutely. I think that you frame that very well. Um, web, web 1.0 consisting of mostly like static content. Um, web 2.0 consisting of, um, you know, interactive, rich content, um, interlinking social media. Web 3.0 is... The decentralized web, and very importantly, the verifiable web. So, verifiability adds this very valuable uh, layer on top of everything that we do on the internet. I think that something that a lot of people are concerned about, rightfully so today, is for example, what the hell is going on with my data? Like, how is it being used? Uh, I'm using this internet based service or product, and I mean, I'm told that it it functions a certain way, but I don't really know because it's closed source. Uh, I don't have any transparency into the claims that are being made. And I have no verifiability. I have no way to verify that how I believe this thing works is how it actually works. I mean, this has bitten us uh, in the ass uh, many times, right? Um, Not only have we trusted uh, companies that were not following good uh, data security standards, And uh, ended up uh, leading to major hacks where um, a huge percentage of the population was affected, including myself, by some of these big time hacks where personal data was stolen, passwords, etc. So the the Web 3.0, what is it? It's more transparent, it's more safe, and it's more honest. Uh, It is a place where I think competition can happen in a more uh, open way. And, uh, all of those things contribute to a better experience for the end user.
2: I would say that the centralized internet is going to, you know, is, I think you're spot on with some of that. What do you think about, you know, for example, Facebook and some of these other sites that are out there, Twitter and whatnot, and YouTube that are kind of depersoning people, deplatforming them because they don't like their, their opinions. And so, you know, they just kicking them off of their website. Are those are those websites, are those, you know, tech bohemians are they going to be relevant in Web 3.0? Or are these decentralized platforms going to usurp their power? Well, I think they
1: are uh, mostly like very well aware that if they don't adapt and adopt um, blockchain technology, that they would become irrelevant and go extinct. So much has been um, hyped about Facebook entering the uh, blockchain crypto world. Uh, they announced Global Coin recently. So uh, you know, I know Jack Dorsey, founder of Twitter, is a huge proponent of uh, blockchain and Bitcoin in particular, and has uh, worked on been working on stuff in that realm. So I think yeah. that. But uh, well, they
2: don't have the spirit. They don't have the spirit of blockchain because it's sort of open, and you know, and now they're they're, they're sort of closing it down, and so. Like, I know that Dorsey, he likes Bitcoin, but he doesn't like free speech. And I know that, you know, Zuckerberg, he likes crypto. He wants to have his own crypto, to sort of rule over the Facebook ecosystem. But he doesn't like free speech either. So it's like, you know, I think that one of my thoughts was, is that it's potentially that this global coin by Facebook could raise awareness so much about crypto and decentralization that it could become Facebook's demise.
1: It could, you know. We'll see what happens. I think that, uh, like I said, every step forward for this ecosystem is a positive thing. So, um, in the end, the most open networks will win. That has proven true throughout history. Um, as as everything that we, uh, as a society, uh, all the institutions that we've relied on. Um, have become more and more decentralized. I mean, decentralization did not start with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is just like a major breakthrough, kind of like an accelerator in the process of decentralization that's been happening for a very long time since the printing press was invented. So I think that, yeah, you're right. I think a lot of these companies are uh, trying to adapt, but they're still stuck in the old way of thinking, in sort of the old, closed, centralized way of thinking. And and that probably would lead to their demise if they don't um, put themselves in a position to uh, participate in the new, open, uh, you know, decentralized uh, way that things will work.
0: Well, Jeremy, I'm wondering what you think of, of some of these tokens that arguably are centralized. You know, the number three uh, token in CoinMarketCap is XRP, right? High, highly centralized. Number five is EOS, which I really like. But if you look at it, it's a very small minority of, you know, uh, stakeholders that are that are involved. And so what are your thoughts on some of these larger cryptos that are fairly centralized?
1: Yeah, I think it's a very similar thing where um, you've got teams who are um, are half foot in, half foot out of um, the true uh, meaning of decentralization and blockchain. Um, I think that on EOS, people today recognize that there are performance benefits to a network that is essentially centralized, but in the long term, uh, I don't see that um, really uh, making it very far. Uh, I think that um, XRP is not even really actually a cryptocurrency. It's sort of more um, along the lines of owning stock in Ripple Corporation. Um, Today, we live in a world where um, there's a massive lack of understanding of what cryptocurrency is, what it's for, what it's about, what blockchain technology is. Um, r- instead of understanding, we have a lot of hype. So hype enables, um, projects that don't really have a place in the, in the long-term scheme of things to, um, appreciate in the short term and to experience these bubble, uh, bubble-like growth. Um, but I don't really, um, you know, see those going very far.
2: All right, let's 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 get to a fun question here. You know, because everyone likes predictions. Everybody, you know, opinions. You know, as I said, everybody has an opinion about something. So, you know, the the price of of Bitcoin over the next few years. I mean, what do you think? I mean, wh- I mean, p- some people are talking some of these astronomical numbers, right? What what is your thoughts of maybe what Bitcoin might be at the end of this year, and then what's what, what what's the big number that you think that it's going to get to, and how long is it going to take for us to get there? I think
1: price prediction is a sucker's game. Uh, I think that trying to predict when certain levels uh, are going to be reached, you know, in my opinion, is is not really possible. I don't think anyone can really.
0: Yeah, Travis, don't be a sucker. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll then, be an old and closed over there, Mr. Joel Kahn. Be, be open and maybe the real question you know is uh, will John McAfee be eating an appendage right because that wouldn't be a prediction question. <laughs> or maybe maybe it, maybe it would be let's let's discuss one more thing here before we uh, we thank you for uh, for your time today and that is a word that it's a mouthful interoperability right? We talk about interoperability. I can't even say it. The inter thing, right? So first of all, what are we talking about? And then when we're looking at blockchains, there are those that are interoperable and those that are not. And how could this play out in the future?
1: Uh, It can play out in multiple ways. I think interoperability is crucial one way or another. Uh, I'll define what it is first. It is it is what enables a blockchain network to connect and communicate with other blockchain networks. So, if you think about the various services that you use, like your bank and your, um, you know, let's say you have your bank account and you have your trading account, for example, and they connect to each other often through um, what's called an API, and. Them, those two systems being able to communicate with each other directly really makes things easier for you. And this is just like a minuscule example that just like randomly. But um, the point is that for blockchain to really excel uh, in the future, for us to feel comfortable as a society, Uh, using blockchain-based solutions and for those solutions to be significantly better than the centralized solutions that we use today, they need to be able to communicate with each other um, because that really um, amplifies the value that they can deliver. So how interoperability will happen in the future is going to be an interesting thing to observe and watch. Uh, Two ways that it could go. Uh, One is that the blockchain ecosystem consolidates among a few leading networks, like say Bitcoin and Ethereum and, um, the developers, it turns into like an Android iOS type of thing where developers are building for Bitcoin. They're building for, uh, Ethereum. They have, um, you know, there are all kinds of applications that um, are being built on top of these technologies. And, those tech, those applications are inherently interoperable because they speak the same language because they're built on the same layer one protocol technology being uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum in this example. Another, uh, way that this could play out is that, uh, and I think it's very likely that we have many different blockchains for many different use cases. And those blockchains, in order for them to interoperate, it's way more tricky. There might they might have to follow common standards just to make sure that they can you know speak the same language. There are some really cool projects that are attacking that, like Cosmos and um, Polkadot, um, providing standards by which uh, blockchain different blockchain projects can be unique and um, optimize differently, however, uh, maintain some um, uh, common. Uh, some commonalities that that enable them to interoperate, if that makes sense. Fascinating stuff. That's good stuff.
0: Well, Jeremy, we appreciate uh, your time and your perspective. The website immutable.capital, where it says the revolution will not be centralized, and their goal is to accelerate humanity's path to a decentralized future. Der- Jeremy Masigi, thanks so much.
1: Thank you very much, Joel and Travis. It's been fun chatting with you guys
2: yes thank you so much to jeremy for coming on and chatting about all things blockchain very good and uh you know what there's some cool stuff going on with Badcoin, mr joel Com. ah should we do a quick bad coin update i think we should i think it's really cool because uh we had somebody on telegram
0: building the bad wait wait can i can i okay can i play the Badcoin stinger music okay go ahead yeah here, here we go let's see i'm gonna try this one that's, it's actually bad boys of texting or music but that's it we're going to use it okay. so what's the news travis that's
2: good yeah someone on telegram uh, his name's the voice on telegram has created the bad tipper bot so now people can tip in um, bad coin
0: how great is that that's pretty cool is, is that live because i know that there was we were talking he was talking about it's putting it on pretty the, close to being the live very close to
2: being live i think that's really cool Ah, uh, people are building stuff for it. You know, I think that's a good sign of a of a healthy ecosystem. And we're having other additional conversations. Hopefully, you know, maybe we'll get on some exchanges. I know that we're working on uh, getting the foundation squared away for Bad Coin, having fun with that. So if you're if you've decided to mine or haven't mined yet, go to bad go to BadCoin.net and uh, check. Click on the thing. This is how to mine. Download your wallet and start mining. And um, the people who mine sooner are the ones that are getting more. Of the tokens, by the way.
0: Yeah, that's true. We've also been reached out to from an organization, a company that wants to help merchants accept bad coin As uh, is crypto payments. And so once we can, we've told them, sure, integrate away. Again, this is open source. We don't own it. And so there are people that are trying to get it listed on exchanges. That's, you know, we're not doing it. Others are doing it. There are people that are developing tools. There are people that are coming to us and saying, hey, we want to do this. And we're like, it's open source. You could do whatever you want to do with it. You could fork it a thousand times over if you want to. We can't control that because it's open source, but we will keep you posted when somebody in the community does develop or integrate in some way.
2: Very cool. I'm excited about it. I think it's great seeing all these miners up to 500 concurrent miners mining Badcoin, and uh, we're having fun with it. They're enjoying it and uh, building stuff to support it. You know, we had a we had an auction recently where somebody where somebody you know paid sixty thousand bad coin for this little uh this little uh, pickle this little crypto pickle thing uh p- yeah. pickle what was it, <laughs> pickle cactus cactus pickle
0: it yeah. was a it was a cactus toy it was a toy and somebody wanted to make proof of bad coin and so they auctioned off this little toy and they are now to my knowledge the first documented case of somebody making a purchase with bad coin
2: pretty cool pretty cool we're having, having a lot of fun with it and if you know anybody out there or if you are an exchange reach out to us if you think that this is worthy of being on your on your exchange you have to make the decision if you want
0: us we're not going to come to you yeah we'll we'll say yes go ahead mm-hmm. i mean whatever do what you want to do that's true yeah that's true perfect love it having fun staying bad just staying bad or are they supposed to stay bad
2: stay in bed